Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, who are excited to introduce their all-new Rate Shield approval. If you're in the market to buy a home, Rate Shield approval is a real game changer, and here's why. First, Quicken Loans will lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. But here's the crucial part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same. But if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win! It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. Also, thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. For $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash fool. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp personal finance expert and snappy dresser here at The Motley Fool. Allison, hello. (laughs) This week's episode, we're going to learn all about the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence, Retire Early. And we're getting help from Jonathan Mendonca and Brad Barrett, the two guys behind the popular Choose FI website and the Choose FI podcast. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Well, Allison, a giant in the financial advisory business is retiring. Chances are most investors don't know the name of Harold Avensky, but he's a pioneer in the world of sort of research-based financial planning. It's pretty safe to say that there's no advisor who's won more awards or accolades than Harold Avinsky. He's so respected that one of his clients is psychologist Daniel Kahneman, who won the Nobel Prize in economics and is considered one of the fathers of behavioral finance. So if a guy that smart is going to Harold Avinsky, you must think he must know what he's doing. So, Harold just turned 76, and he gave his final speech last month at a conference in San Diego. And the speech was summarized by Robert Hoopscher for AdvisorPerspectives.com. There's a lot of good stuff in there, but I'm just going to highlight four key takeaways. So, number one, expect lower future returns. So, Ivensky recommends that after fees, taxes, and inflation, investors should expect to earn just 2% a year on average over the next decade. So, not over the next year, two or three years, we don't know. But over the next decade, we should expect pretty low returns. Now, he's not the only person to predict that the markets will provide below-average returns, but it's particularly notable coming from him, because for a very long time, some of the financial planning software that is most commonly used by financial advisors relied on Harold Avinsky's predictions for their return assumptions. So, his predictions are fairly well respected. In a speech, he emphasized that in a low-return world, managing fees and taxes is even more important than ever, which brings us to number two, and that is be both active and passive. So the debate of whether investors should try to beat the market or or whether they should just stick with index funds, that rages within the financial advice business as well as without. What does Avensky recommend? He says you should do both. He was actually one of the early pioneers of what became known as the core and satellite approach to investing. Core of your portfolio should be index funds. It's clear that they outperform most active strategies, but more importantly, very low-cost and very tax-efficient. Then, once you have your core in index funds, you can do what he called satellites in your portfolio. Try for more aggressive strategies. Try for a little more active management. See if it works out. could work out, but not everything's riding on those. And make sure you do it in your IRAs, because generally, active strategies are more tax-inefficient. Number three, don't invest money you need in the next five years. So that may not sound particularly insightful. Everyone knows to keep short-term money out of stocks. But the actual size of that cash cushion differs by whom you ask. 
even I'm a little squishy about it. I tend to say, like, if you don't need it in the next three to five years. Um, some people will just say in the one, next one to two years. So I think it's significant that someone like Harold Levinsky is saying, no, five years is really what you should be targeting. If you need that money in the next five years, it should not be in the stock market, especially um, if you're retired, because that's generally the length of, like an, of an economic cycle. And number four, the last one, give annuities a fresh look. So like many experts, Evensky derided annuities for years, and I did this as well. But that's changing a bit, mostly because the cost of annuities has come down so much. And by annuities, he's generally talking what are known as single premium income annuities. You hand over a large lump sum to an insurance company, and they pay you a check for the rest of your life regardless of what's going on in the stock market, with interest rates, the economy, how long you live, you know you're going to get that check in the mail each and every month. He thinks that actually, uh, generally speaking, you should, the research is that you should wait until you're age 70 to do it, because the longer you wait, the higher your payout, because it's based on life expectancy. But 20% or more of a retiree's portfolio could be in annuities, and that would generally replace what you would otherwise invest in cash and bonds. So those are just four takeaways from Avensky's final speech. There's plenty more from that presentation, from the many speeches he's given over the years, as well as the many academic papers, articles, and books he's written. So if you're looking for some good evidence-based financial planning, just Google his name, and you'll come up with some pretty solid stuff. And finally, I'd like to say that after spending decades of helping other people retire, I wish Harold Avinsky the best now that he finally gets to retire all on his own. Support for Motley Fool Answers comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Let's talk about buying a home for a minute. Because of rising interest rates, there's a lot of unpredictability when it comes to buying a home these days, and it's causing a lot of anxiety with people. Well, our friends at Quicken Loans are doing something about that. They're calling it the power buying process, and here's how it works. Quicken Loans will verify your income, assets, and credit in less than 24 hours to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer. Then, once you're verified, you qualify for their all-new, exclusive rate shield approval. First, they'll lock your rate for up to 90 days while you shop. Now, here's the best part. If rates go up, your rate stays the same, but if rates go down, your rate also drops. Either way, you win. It's the kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records, equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. Also, thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. 70% of the workforce is on LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is more than just the world's largest professional network. It's also a better way to find great talent. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. That's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. Because LinkedIn considers skills, experience, location, and more to match and promote your job to potential candidates, businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry, even yours and mine. Head to linkedin.com slash fool for $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Everyone is seeking financial independence that day when you can kiss your boss goodbye and spend the rest of your days doing whatever the heck you want. What are you doing to your boss? (laughs) (laughs) 
Kissing, Do I need to kissing him warn goodbye? Andy Cross about what's coming? A platonic, his way? a platonic sort of way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Anyways, for most people, that day comes when they retire, which happens between the ages of sixty-two and sixty-five, for most Americans. But there's a growing movement of people out there who are challenging the traditional timeline. They're giving the boss the old sayonara smooch like that. I just made that up. <laughs> While they're in Very their fifties, forties, nice. or even their thirties. So how is that even possible? Well, today we have two people who have done it themselves and now make it their mission to teach others how to do it as well. So welcome to the show, Brad Barrett and Jonathan Mendonca, co-founders of the Choose FI website and podcast. Bro, thanks so much for having us on. Yeah, really appreciate it. This is exciting. Well, let's start by letting you guys introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your embracing of the FI lifestyle. FI, again, standing for financial independence. Yeah, uh, so my name is Jonathan, and I have been a fan of the financial independence community since basically 2012, where I first stumbled onto a little-known blog called Mr. Money Mustache. That led me down a very deep rabbit hole, which convinced me that I could handle a large percentage of my finances myself. And in fact, it was in my best interest to learn just a little bit, just a little bit about this financial, about personal finance, about building a financial ground game. Uh, that rabbit hole increasingly steered me towards the financial independence community, this idea that I could claim control of my financial life, not just in my 60s and beyond, but and not just in my golden years, right? But frankly, in my best years of life, my 30s, 40s, and 50s. And um, along with that came this idea of optimizing my life around value, jacking up my savings rate well beyond maybe the standard 5 or 10%. Um, indeed, in my own life, I at one point was touching closer to 70 or 80%. Um, and what that has allowed me to do is build a life that, frankly, I just I can get incredibly excited about. And I couldn't even, even have imagined as little as maybe five, six, seven or eight years ago. Yeah, and I'm Brad Barrett. I'm a CPA, actually, by trade. And I've always been a natural saver. So I think, whereas Jonathan describes himself as the reluctant frugalist, <laughs> it's kind of uh, a means to an end. You know, for him, he wants this freedom that financial independence gives. But I've always been this saver, just from the very beginning. I don't know why. But yeah, my wife and I lived at home for a couple of years before we got married. We had probably like a 90 plus percent savings rate. And we made very intentional decisions that have led us to this point of financial independence. We drive old cars, right? Oh, poor us. <laughs> we have these cars that get us from point A to point B. But as Jonathan would joke, they're not very impressive to put we, it. We call it Golden Boy, but this 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 2003 Honda Civic that we drove down in today. <laughs> yeah, but it does drive, and it drives wonderfully. But um, and you know, we made like I said, we made these decisions. So we moved from Long Island, New York, where we lived our entire lives, and we moved to Richmond, Virginia, where it's just probably the house and the taxes are a third of what we would have spent on Long Island. And was that an easy decision? Was that easy to leave our family and our friends? No, of course not. But it was in service of this goal, which is to have a wonderful life that we could enjoy. So my wife could stay at home with our kids, which she did. She was a stay-at-home mom. My youngest is now seven, nearly seven. And Laura's been a stay-at-home mom for nearly 10 years. It's amazing that this life that we car that we planned out at 25, 26, has come to fruition. And I left my corporate job as a CPA three and a half years ago now, and I work now full-time on this podcast. We've talked about this before in previous episodes, and we talked about it in terms of 
what's been known as the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. You don't have the RE as part of your website. I'm curious, was that deliberate, and do you guys consider yourselves retired? Yeah, I am definitely not retired, and I think that is a, a huge point to make. Um, and I, I do think it was intentional, but I don't think we, at, at the beginning when we picked our brand name, were quite aware of how much that resonates with us, that this is about FI for us. We are part of the FIRE community. We love the FIRE community. And frankly, I'm grateful for the acronym. I think it gives people something to latch on to. I think that when you see this idea of retiring early, you click the article. You want to find, you want to find out a little bit more. But very quickly, uh, what, what you find out is that financial independence is about control. It's about designing a future that you can get excited about. And if that gives you the option to choose retirement because you hate your job, or rather it just gives you the flexibility to build a career that excites you, or maybe move across the street to an employer that treats you better, it puts control on your side of the court. And I think that's what's so attractive about it. Yeah. And we basically say that it's not what you're running from. It's what you're running towards. So it's designing this life that you can enjoy. And we obviously, we get a finite number of years here on the planet. And to live them working a job for decades just to afford a fancy car or a fancy house or maybe to go out to dinner a couple extra times a week, like that's not, that wasn't a trade-off that I was willing to make. So to me, again, to your question, it's, it's not about retiring early. I feel like that has almost become a distraction for a lot of people. It's about accruing that power in your life to make decisions that serve you and to not be stuck in a job because if that boss says, hey, you need to come in an hour early, you have no option because your entire life is going to fall apart within right 30 to 90 days for most people who live paycheck to paycheck or someone who gets a flat tire and literally that $200 expense they have to put on a credit card. So for me, it's about saving money, is about accruing power in my life to make the decisions that I want to make. And imagine being in a situation, even in your early 30s, where your employer needs you more than you need them. Those individuals that are able to carve that out, those are the ones that inevitably get raises. Those are the ones that are able to carve out unique working situations, work from home. Those are the ones that are able to, even in even before you choose early retirement, are able to build a working environment, create a company culture, even if they're the pioneers, right? They're the ones that are able to kind of act as a vanguard for a better working environment. I, I think it's a benefit to people that will never retire early to still pursue financial independence. I'll give you an example. So I uh, was a pharmacist. I was a pharmacy manager at a retail pharmacy. And the way I got this job was that in my early teens, I, I Googled. Googling was still a relatively new thing. I actually heard the word Google my senior year in high school. I remember that. But I Googled top 10 paying professions in the United States, and pharmacy came somewhere near the, near the top of that list. And then I went to um, undergrad for four years and then got a four-year doctorate. Based solely on that Google search. Man, Google is powerful. It's had an impact on my life. I am a professional Googler. But at the end of this, this eight-year stint, I graduated with pharmacy school. I had an entry-level six-figure income and also, also a little side effect, $168,000 in student loan debt. And then I started working in this job that I had been pursuing for the past eight years and, and paid them off aggressively. I talked about that 70% savings rate. Most of that just went to paying off my student loan debt. I paid it off in about four years, getting back to broke, getting back to broke at the age of 32. And um, I, you know, I continued this aggressive form of savings and I had roughly about 100 grand saved up because I'd also been doing my match with, you know, 4% match, right? So along the way, I decided to start this little podcast with my friend here, Brad. 
and it kind of blow, blew up. And what happened was because I was doing this in the context of no debt, I had slashed my expenses to the bone, um, and I pay, you know, and basically, and on top of that, this little startup that we had developed was starting to just cover all my bills. There were some very interesting things that happened, and I'm just telling you all this to demonstrate how powerful it is to have this sort of financial ground game. So a documentary about our community, which is going to get aired next year, wanted to come to town and film with us for a couple of days. On top of that, we were going to go to our first conference. It's a big networking conference for people that are in our community. And then on top of that, we wanted to go visit my wife for a couple of weeks. Now, she's from Zimbabwe. We had not seen them in several years. We wanted to go do all of this. Like, There's so many things you want to do in life. And what was keeping us from that? Well, it was my job. I get a total of about 20 days a year yeah. to take off, and I have to divvy that up between paid and sick leave. It's a very, very structured. And I went to my boss, and I said, boss, I have this, 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 this. I laid it out. And, and I just don't see any way that I can keep all of this going. I simply cannot do it. I've checked our company policies and there's a way that you can give me an unpaid leave of absence. I need three weeks. I need three weeks unpaid so that I can do all this. I can't keep doing both. To which my boss said to me, I don't think it's in our best interest to let you do that. I don't think it's in our best interest to let you take this leave. To which, in the context that I just told you, I was able to say to him, I don't think it's in my best interest to stay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's a choice you get to make because you're not saddled by student loan debt. That's a choice you get to make because you have a strong financial ground game. That's the power of financial independence and not even reaching it. I wasn't FI when I did this. I was on the path to FI. It seems to me, basically, really, the, the essence of financial independence, whether it's what you guys are doing or even who... Someone who I think many people credit for like being one of the first is Vicky Robin and Joe Dominguez in their book, Your Money or Your Life. And I know you guys did a great interview with Vicky Robin. Um, is basically transforming your relationship with spending, being more deliberate about spending and appreciating what choices you no longer have if you're spending too much. Was that a difficult transition? It doesn't sound, Brad, that was much <laughs> difficult for you. For Brad, it was no. a joy. Right. Yeah. It was like, an absolute joy. Yes. My and buddy it, here <laughs> is an aspiring minimalist. Right. He and would it, have one suitcase, one 2003 Honda Civic, and live out of hotels. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> a laptop. Is, That's all I need. Life is so simple. <laughs> right. But I'll add to that that you're both also married. So it's not yeah. just I said aspiring minimalist. Yeah. Hard, <laughs> to be, hard to be a minim true yeah. minimalist. With two kids, it's not so easy. But right. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's getting your expenses under control. It doesn't mean deprivation. I think this is the crucial part, is financial independence is not about deprivation. It, it's about choices. So we say that there are hundreds of different levers you can pull, right? There are hundreds of different choices you can make in your financial life, but you have to take action. I don't care which ones you choose. You don't have to sell your house and move into an apartment. You don't need to sell your car, but you are gonna need to make some choices to get money saved up so that you can have that little bit of power in your life. And it starts from the very beginning. Like Jonathan said, it's the path to FI. This is not binary. It's not zero or one. So when you save up, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you have $2,000 in the bank, your life is dramatically better than it was. So I think this starts from the very beginning. I am truly a reluctant frugalist. This does not come naturally to me. Uh, this is not like my easy path is just not spend money. I have a list from, well, you guys can relate to this. I have a board game list. There's like 300 more board games <laughs> yes. on this list that, that right. I want. We at the floor are big board gamers. That's why he brings that up. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think I want something more powerful. So let me, let me just paint another picture for you. I was getting a lunch with Brad early on when we, when we just first met. And I am bringing with me this 
entry level six figure income. I think somewhere between 120, 120, depending on the year. And, you know, I'm very happy and very proud of this income that I have. But what I became very, uh, very clear on after I met Brad, that it's not about how much you make, it's about how much you save, because I have this great income, but all of it's either going back to student loans, right? Or, or in many cases, it's going to finance a car, it's going to finance a big house, it's going to finance just consumer debt. And frankly, all this stuff that you purchase, you don't have to use because in many cases, you're in a job you don't like. Contrast that with Brad as this natural frugalist because he has put all of his all of his savings towards buying his freedom. I'm at work all the time, every other weekend, nights and weekends. He spends all of his time at home with his family. And suddenly that FOMO, that fear of missing out that maybe would be used to get you to buy something new. I wanted to buy the ultimate luxury. I wanted to buy a perpetual money-making machine that would allow me to spend my time with those I love. You mentioned my wife. I want to spend my time with my wife and my son. That's where I want to spend the time with the people that I value. And I don't want to just do it when when my son is 20 or 30 and we're trying to reconnect. I want those best years. I want to watch him growing up. And I want to be able to say, when I want to go home and visit my wife's family in Zimbabwe, we can do that. We can make that a priority and we can build work. We can build everything else around that. And so I think what this does is this is a reprioritization. If you think about what it is you actually value and you build that list out, I think you will find that it's rarely the consumables. It's very rarely how much crap we all own. That may be that, that in many cases, that is just a, a really poor substitute for quality time. And that's what this gives us. So in the earlier days of when I first discovered this whole movement many, many years ago, many of the people I came across were people like Vicki Robin or other people who, who frankly didn't have kids. But more and more, it does seem like people are doing it. They're able to raise families while living this. Do you feel comfortable with any of the trade-offs you might have made, or do you feel like it actually hasn't been that difficult? Yeah, I mean, for me, I have two young daughters. So I have a 10-year-old and a nearly 7-year-old. And I think they've lived this wonderful life of abundance because we spend time with them. What do kids want? They want time with their parents. And I'm not at work all the time. I'm there at home. So when they come off the bus, I'm there with them. We come home, we run home, we play board games. I mean, I'm playing board games at four o'clock on a Wednesday. How crazy is that, right? Like, it's almost hard, honestly, for me to imagine that this is real sometimes. Like, seven years ago when I was working in an office, this would have been impossible. So my daughter, Anna, she, she knew me in the, the pre-fi days and the post-fi days. And now she's getting to, I guess, experience this, this life where I am there all the time. So to me, I don't know what the trade-off is. Honestly, like I, I search for it. And it's almost like it's hard to imagine sometimes like what people are spending money on, what they prioritize over spending time with family and friends. Right. So for me, it's such an obvious choice. Like, what am I giving up? A 2018 BMW as opposed to my 2000, 2003 Civic? Like, and you mean I get to spend all this time with my kids and watch them grow up? That's so obvious to me. I couldn't even fathom anyone making the other decision when it's presented to them in that manner. But sadly, people don't think about that, right? You go through life, you see what the Joneses next door are doing, and you emulate it because sadly, we don't have financial education in this country, right? People don't learn how to do this. They don't learn what it means to spend all your money. So I guess I'm fortunate that on some level I was this natural saver. But I think what's beautiful about what we're trying to do in the FI community is we're trying to op open people's eyes to the fact that 
this is possible. I'm just a regular guy. There's nothing special about me. I just happen to be a saver. And even if you aren't that saver, even if you've made mistakes in the past, you can start today and take action. So we talked about those levers. Make some choices that will provide you some space, will provide some savings rate, and move forward from there. Uh, one thing some parents might think is, what about college, right? At some point, either you may decide to save for college or not, or some parents decide, well, kids are on their own for college. What's your take on that? Yeah, so I think this this community is a crowdsourced community, right? It's one of those where best practices rise to the top, and we find that while you and I might have trouble thinking of a single solution for our kid, as a whole, as a collective group of people, there are ways to do college more intentionally, smartly. There are ways to do college for less. So if MSRP, to grab a term from the car industry for college, is estimated at $300,000 for my two-year-old to go to college when he's 18, there are plenty of people that have a plan to do it for less than 40. There are plenty of a plan plenty of people that have a plan to do it for nothing because they know how it works. And I can think of several examples that have risen to the top, which I would be happy to share with you, most notably uh, in Virginia. In Virginia, we have guaranteed admissions programs in multiple states, multiple in, in like 23 plus public universities, including, I think, Brad, you were... Yeah, the University of Virginia and William Mary. So we're talking top tier universities. Right. So essentially, if you go to a Virginia community college, and you get your two-year associate's degree, and you check a number of boxes. So you need a certain GPA. But it's not a 4.0. It's like a 3.4, I believe, is is in the contract. So this is an actual contract between the Virginia Community Colleges and the Virginia University System. So you look at this contract for UVA, and you take X number of courses. You get a 3-4. You are guaranteed admissions to UVA. UVA is one of the top 25 universities in the country. Now, as a high school senior, you need a 1,500 on the SATs. You know, you need a 4.2 GPA to get into UVA. Well, if you take the somewhat unconventional societally choice here, right, to go to community college, you are guaranteed admissions to UVA. So you go for two years at a tiny little fraction of the cost, even from as compared to a public university, get your associate's degree, go in as a third-year student at UVA, or again, William Mary, James Madison, any of the Virginia universities, and finish up your two years, and you get that degree from that university. That's amazing. That's essentially half price right there. And that is, that's just an anecdote for the Virginia area. But there is all sorts of little outlier events that they don't necessarily have to be outliers. They're outliers because we're not talking about them as a society. We're not highlighting them for our community. There are certainly public programs that I would like to see expanded. There are things that I would like to see done to make college more affordable for everybody. But when you're talking about what I can control for my kid with what I can do now, there are you, you need to also look at the scholarship side of things as well. And so uh, there's an app called Scholarly. There's scholarship.com. Uh, I know an individual in our community, and what they did for an entire summer, basically, they looked at what are the common threads between all of these different scholarships that are being – are they merit scholarships? Are they based on your ethnic background? Whatever it may be realizing that there were these common themes, he basically said there's probably like seven total different types of scholarships. He created a template for each one of those different types. And he once he had the templates, then he just rolled through like 10 applications a day. He was getting probably like a 10 to 30% acceptance rate. And think about just doing that instead of a summer job. 
is that an option? If you can, if you start looking at what your ROI, it so vastly outperforms your minimum wage job that you got over over the summer. It's it's truly insane. There's a caddy program, a caddy scholarship. If you act as a caddy at uh, while you're in high school, you can get a free ride to Purdue. Another, and and I think that's called the Evan Scholar Program. There's a firefighter scholarship. There's the Hope Scholar. If you're down in Florida, Chattanooga, it's based on the lottery system. I say all this to say you couldn't possibly write that down and act on every one of these. But what if you had a community of people that were not just doing it, but documenting it with other people in the community and best practices rose to the top. And you said, you know what, if you're in Tennessee, this is what you should be looking into. If you're in Virginia, this is what you should be looking into. Can we solve the problem as a society from this, this particular podcast platform? Maybe not, but can we highlight for our community what options are available so you can take ownership of it instead of saying $300,000, $300,000. What if we could just bypass college altogether. You know, this is all, hey, college is going to happen. But right now we know that society is trending increasingly away towards either a gig economy, a what have you built economy, or one where you look at like trade schools, trade schools in your traditional sense, but also what about software engineers? We know that you can self-teach this stuff. And we know that plenty of people, if you have taught it to yourself, are willing to give you that first shot. And then we know that once you have your first job, your degree rarely matters. You know, and, and I know, in fact, an individual I was talking to, he is a CEO of a startup. And he, to him, he said, and he doesn't want me to name his name because he doesn't want to be behind this, but I'll just, <laughs> I'll put it out there. He says, I'll be honest with you, having an MBA kind of actually holds you back a little bit because I want to see what have you, what have you built? You know, I want to, yeah. I want to see that process. And so we've got to understand that the rules are swiftly changing beneath our feet and not just assume that it's college at all costs, not just assume that it's 168K in debt for everybody. So I think to summarize, it's just looking at the problem differently. And I think this is how we view the entire FI community is look at your life, look at these issues, look at these problems, and just think a little bit differently. So I think unconventional thinking can get you further in life. And, and this is a perfect example. Gotcha. What about health care? That's a tough one. Obviously, most people get it through their jobs. There was a report today in the Wall Street Journal saying that on average, uh, an employer pays $20,000 a year. For that, and that doesn't include the deductibles and the copays. Um, from what I understand of your story, you're also kind of looking out outside the box for how you handle that. So, how do you do it for you and your family? Yeah, this is a great question, just because it's one that affects us very, very dramatically as we are now essentially entrepreneurs, right? So, I can tell you that there are several strategies that are in place. And I'm also, let me preface this by saying that this is a disaster. This is truly a disaster. There is no good answer here. Um, I would love to tell you that it's just going to work, but we all like, you know, if college was a problem, this is a freaking iceberg. Um, but having said that, you work with what you, what you can do. So there's a couple options that are out there. One of them is the ACA is still intact. If you are a low income individual, even without a employer, you will likely call uh, be eligible for ACA subsidies. I know an individual that he has a small startup that he created post work. He makes roughly forty sixty thousand dollars a year, somewhere in that range. For his family of five, the subsidies are in place. It's three, four, five hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. You can kind of control your tax rate to some degree if you're in one of these individuals because you can then load up your 401k, still taking care of your retirement, which then drops your AGI, which then will probably also likely increase your subsidy amount. So that's one that's one possibility. Let's say that you're in the in the situation where your business has done very, very well and you have a lot of income in that situation, then uh, you're going to just take it in the face. Or let's say that you are retired with three million, four million, five million in assets, something absurd. You have a wonderful problem, right? If that is your situation, you're going to take it in the face. And like you said, 
20 to $30,000 a year. And it's just a line item that you're going to have to budget for. If you're willing to get outside of that normal paradigm, you can look at something like health shares, health share ministries. There are some disadvantages of health share ministry. One, it's not technically insurance. Uh, one, not el- everybody is eligible for it. Um, two, there's something called balance billing that I'll let Brad talk about briefly. But let me just go away from the cons and talk about the pros. Uh, in many cases, you have up to a million dollars in damages that are covered. Uh, for roughly $450 a month for a family. And, you know, I, I think there, you also got to think about healthcare as there being three different types. There is preventative, there's maintenance, and there's acute. Preventative, who is going to be the healthiest person? The person that has low level stress constantly and because of that overeats, under exercises, or an individual that has reclaimed bandwidth in their life and is actively taking care of themselves, both from a mental state, a physical state, and otherwise. As a whole, if you look at the fight community, and I have no data to back this up, but I would suspect, <laughs> I would put my money on the fact that as a whole, the fight community is healthier than a cohort which is does not have does not have the bandwidth to take care of themselves so that that that's one additional thing to to keep in mind as jonathan said there's really truly no good answer here but one thing he kind of slipped in there is if you're on the ACA or even if you're using a health share ministry this is a line item in your budget and you just have to deal with it and plan accordingly so i think that's kind of the background is i wish there was some great answer i wish we had some amazing hack for this we simply don't but I guess what my family has done is used Liberty HealthShare for the last four, almost four years. And it's worked exceptionally well. I mean, it, as Jonathan said, it is not insurance. So there are definitely downsides to it. The biggest is that the hospitals and doctors do not have a contract with this health sharing ministry. So they're not legally obligated to take what in essence is like that negotiated rate, right? We all see that when there's the rack rate, there's the negotiated rate, and that's what the insurance company generally pays. So I've had an instance where I've been actually balance billed by the hospital for, let's say, a procedure costs $10,000. The normal standard repayment is three. They bill me for the other seven. But incredibly, Liberty HealthShare, and this is anecdotal, of course, but they hired a team of lawyers, they negotiated it, and they paid the remaining amount. So I was not out an additional dollar. So Again, in my very anecdotal experience, it's been truly wonderful. Let's get down to sort of like more practical stuff. Let's say someone's listening, really have their interest peaked. What are the first few things they should do to put themselves sort of on the path to a FI lifestyle? Yeah, let's uh, let's take a look at the the simple equation, right? What you earn minus what you spend is equal to the difference of the gap. We want to grow the income, we want to decrease the expenses, and then we want to figure out how to optimize the difference, right? Those are three different strategies with virtually unlimited options around them, and you need to look at where you are on that spectrum. What is your problem? Is it you have great income, you've got a decent baseline, but you just don't know what to do with the difference? Let's talk about that. Let's say that you are just paycheck to paycheck on 100K. Let's talk about that. So we got to figure out what individual we're actually talking to. Um, the FI community is really, really good on the the spend less side of things, and we're really, really good at the optimize the difference side of things. And so I think that in this particular conversation, that's probably where we can add a lot of value. Um, earning more, I, I, I think that earning more is great. I think all of us should look at earning more. I think that's a great opportunity. But it's it's a little bit more nebulous. Like, what am I going to do tomorrow? Let's talk about career hacking. Let's talk about alternative careers. Let's talk about moving across the street. Like, there's just do a startup, do a side hustle. There's I think just for the sake of this short conversation, we should say, that's great. Let's focus on earning more. But let's just set that to the side, and let's focus on the other two spend less. And Brad, I mean, there's a bunch of really cool levers that you can pull almost immediately to, to kick that savings right into gear. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's the big line items in your budget, right? I, again, we don't want to live this life of deprivation. So we can talk about cutting out Starbucks and avocado toast, but 
to me, that's beside the point. It's how do you design that life that things that you buy actually matter. So for me, it's housing makes up probably about a third of people's budget, cars somewhere in the vicinity of 15 to 20%. I think you can look at those immediately. Uh, obviously, that's a big decision for many people, right? Moving is not something you take lightly, but if it matters a thousand plus dollars a month, maybe it's worth looking into. I think some really simple ones are food. People just hemorrhage money on food. So for me, it's about being intentional. My family, we cook basically all of our meals, and our meals cost about $2 per person per meal. That sure beats going out to the local grocery store and even just getting the prepared food there for $10 a pound, right? Not less going out to dinner for whatever, plus drinks, plus tax and tips. So I think you can save many, many hundreds of dollars per month just on food alone. I think to me, that is the simple kind of low-hanging fruit. Uh, just looking at subscriptions, I think looking at your phone bill, like my phone bill through Republic Wireless cost me under $20 a month. I have a regular smartphone. You wouldn't know I'm doing anything crazy. I'm just a little more intentional. So it comes back to that intentionality, right? I don't download YouTube videos and podcasts when I'm off Wi-Fi. That is literally the only thing I give up. Otherwise, I have a perfectly functional, normal human's phone, right? <laughs> it is a normal human phone. <laughs> I just don't do those couple things. Like, is that like, oh, poor me, cry me a river type deal? Or is that, wow, I'm saving $1,000 per phone line per year? It's an obvious choice once you're, once you're presented with it, right? So, again, it's those kind of things. Obviously, the cutting the cable, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We can talk about this ad nauseum, but there are these items to look at. I don't want to belabor this particular side of things, but just to point out how powerful this is. You're, we talked about the car earlier in the conversation. If you were to do the math on the true cost of car ownership, if you were to basically look at the difference between buying that brand new car and financing a new car for life versus just having, frankly, one new car, paying it off and sticking with it for years and years and years until it disintegrates into dust in your driveway, the difference is million, a million dollars. I mean, it's that that truly yeah. incredible. If you look at something that's a powerful idea called like house hacking, it's a big word for basically just saying you buy a either single family home or a duplex or triplex. You'll stay in one room and you rent out the others, hopefully with enough to cover most or all of your rent. So you live for free. Imagine just simply living for free, cutting that line item for your budget. And then if you want to compound that, since we know that between your home costs and your transportation costs, that's 50% of most people's budget. If you then moved your house hack close to your job, and you could bike or walk or you know very easily go to work, suddenly you have cut your expenses by 50%. If you then put that into the other side of the equation, the life optimization side, we know, like for instance, if you have a 1% savings rate, that means it takes you 100 years to replace you know, that one year of expenses, right? If you have a 50% savings rate, we know that you can get to a point where working is optional within 10 to 15 years using the power of compound interest. That's how powerful it is. So when you look at your life, when you look at this as a puzzle and you say, I can focus on any aspect of this, but what do I want to do now? You don't have to do everything, but my friend, you're going to have to do something. And that's the really cool part of this. Let's just get a little bit better every single day. And we see this. I was talking to an individual, his name's Chris the other day. And he says, guys, I found your show last year, last fall. And I just, I was just drifting. I don't know what I was doing. It's so obvious. My net worth has tripled and there's no hook to this. There's no upgraded mastermind class where now you're going to get the real secrets. It's just stupid, simple. Just do it. Just do something each day to put yourself in this better situation. Okay. So some people who are considering this sort of lower cost lifestyle might think, oh, 
that's fine. But then from now on, all my vacations are. I get in to a t- have no fun. <laughs> no, ever. I, I, we're, we're going to be at the tent at the KOA. But that's not necessarily. <laughs> I had been to KOA, but it was a long time ago. I didn't yeah. know they were still out I, there. I actually love camping. But the point is, that's not necessarily true. And Brad, you in particular are sort of this like ninja in terms of finding ways to literally see the world for free. Yeah, it's been quite a journey for me. I mean, no pun intended. Yeah. My my wife and I have earned, I think, at last count, it was like 2.5 million miles in points by just being very intentional about our credit card spending. So again, kind of going through the entire FI life, it's living a very optimized financial life. And part of that, for me personally, and of course, every person is different, but for us, we put all of our expenses on our credit cards. We pay them off clearly on time and in full every single month. That's the crucial part of this. If you're not one of those people, just please stop, stop listening. Stop listening right yeah. now. We're done. <laughs> so Everybody just leaned in to listen more closely. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I do that. Nice. So, yeah, table stakes. But what we do is we open up very targeted credit cards and earn these massive sign-up bonuses. So in you'll see, obviously, different advertisements. Spend $3,000 in the first three months and earn 50,000 American Airlines miles or some such. Well, if you can redeem those for any type of reasonable value, you're going to get probably $700 to $1,000 in value from that one credit card sign-up. And that's just using your normal spending, right? In that case, it was $3,000 of your normal spending on this card. Instead of using the other card that you were getting 1% back, Right, which would be $30. Here, you're using this very targeted card and getting $1,000 in free travel. So now, we've done that over a period of many years, over probably seven years at this point. And like I said, earned this massive amount of points and miles that we've turned into real travel. So my family of four, and actually the four grandparents, came with us to Disney World. So instead of it costing $4,000 for, approximately, for the hotel, which we stayed on site, four round trip flights, and the park tickets. We spent about $150 wow. on one awesome. trip. Yeah. And talking about real travel, going back to my story, if you remember kind of that interaction I had with my employer where I said, hey, I want to go take my wife home to go visit her family. Um, this this tra- travel rewards had a profound impact on, on my life for this very reason. Travel is expensive. And when you marry someone from another country, you're baking that in. The family is important and travel is just going to happen. And in was it in months, the vows? It, it virtually, you know, yeah. we're staying here in the States, but I promise we'll, we'll come back and visit you guys every couple of years or so. And pre-Brad, I was very happy with my 1.5% cashback card where I would get, you know, maybe 30 bucks, 40 bucks, 40 bucks to spend it, right? 40 bucks in, in cash rewards. But post, you know, learning about this and how to implement it and, and benefit from it, we, my wife and I, it would have cost us probably close to, again, $3,000 to go visit our family for two weeks in Zimbabwe. I did all of that using points and miles. And I, I want to I emphasize how valuable this is because it's not just that I got the flight for free. If you think about it, in a past life, I would have had to pay that same $3,000 for those two air tickets. And I would have paid for it with post-tax dollars. Right. Cards and points are non-taxable. Uh, the way they're structured, basically you're taking spending that you were having to do with post-tax dollars and you're benefiting from whatever marginal tax bracket you find yourself in. And you're getting all of that. Not only are you not having to spend the money on it, but then you're getting the travel with tax-free benefits. I mean, it, that is incredible 
incredible. And this is one of the things that allowed me to just take that line item that was travel in my budget and just take it completely out. So this is about getting more for less. What if we can get more housing for less? Because we, you know, because you're using a form of house hacking. What if we can get the same college experience for less? What if we can go and get a better job than we could have just following the traditional college course? And what if we can travel around the world for free? It's been well documented that this is possible. So obviously, we'll, we'll give the caveat, of course, is that means that you pay the bills off, of course, because if you're not paying off, you're maintaining Underline the balance that. and yeah. all that yeah. stuff. Um, some people might have concerns about how it affects the credit score, but you guys have been doing this for years, and I, I'm going to bet that you guys have pretty good credit scores. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my credit score, I think, started at like a 792, and the last time I checked, within a month, it was 811. So, yeah, I mean, I have basically, I would say, Everyone who's hearing this, you need to look at your own life and figure out what works for you. My wife and I, again, we had these wonderful credit scores. We said, okay, this sounds good, but it was a trust but verify type situation, right? We're going to dip our toes in, see if this works. We have that margin where even if our credit scores plummeted, right, 50, 70 points, nothing bad would have happened. We had a home. We weren't going to buy anything on credit. So this was there was no risk here for us at all. But, I mean, I've worked with many, many thousands of people who have been using this similar strategy, and I've yet to hear one person whose credit score plummeted. So I think I can speak, again, anecdotally, but with knowing tens of thousands of people who have done this, that it really doesn't impact you all that much. So, But you are going to see, just in your normal course of life, you're going to see intra-month swings, right? Right before you pay off your credit card, your utilization is going to be slightly higher than the day after you pay it off, right? So... That, regardless of what credit card you're using, your credit score fluctuates. So I think you'll probably see a 20-point plus or minus, but if that's within that margin of safety for you, then I see no downside to this. Well, I was going to ask, what level of frequency do you find that you guys are opening and closing new credit cards? We both, I believe, try to keep it just as simple as possible. To go back to Brad's point, I think it kind of really helps to understand just what credit card companies are actually looked at. That's been publicly documented, and there may be some other factors, but they look at utilization. So if you have a card with a you know ten thousand dollar limit and you are only using a hundred bucks, you're not really utilizing your card. That's a positive thing. The age of your credit. If you have a card that you opened ten years ago and you still have it, or you have a student loan that you've had forever, that that that's a positive. Um, and there's a few other mark derogatory marks. So like for instance, you don't pay your bills on time. That's going to be a really really bad negative. That's what would hurt you of anything. So. Like he said, table stakes for this is make paying your bills on time and in full. Um, to your other question, I basically will open a card and I will then just put all of my normal spending on that card until we've reached you know this certain minimum spend and gotten the reward. And then potentially maybe my wife will open another one. Usually, if it's going to take us a couple months to get through a minimum spend on a card, and so we're there are people I'm sure that are incredibly aggressive with this. I'm not trying to have 20 million points. This is not, but this is a way for me to replace spending that I was already making, putting it regular stuff on a card, and then using that to give my family a wonderful trip once or twice a year. And we're just basically have this extra stash of travel that we can use when we need it. Maybe one year we use more, maybe one year we use less, but it offers us freedom and flexibility where in the past, maybe I was looking at this from this one dimensional place. I'm sorry, honey, we can't go visit your family because we're paying down our student loans. Once again, for our listeners who want to learn more, you guys are at choosefi.com. And then your podcast, uh, if they just go to iTunes and search Choose Fi, are they yeah, going to land on you? Yeah, just search Choose Fi. We publish choose every Fi. Monday and Friday. 
Uh, and there is an episode on our podcast where we really went into depth on kind of what this would look like for an individual that wants to get started with this. It's episode nine of our podcast. I think it's actually our most downloaded episode of all time. So it'd be a wonderful place to start if you're saying, hey, that sounds really cool, but I think I need a little bit more information before I really dive into that. Go check out episode nine of our podcast. There you go. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Yeah, this is a blast. Thank you. So much fun. Well, that's the show. I want to thank Jonathan and Brad for joining us once again. That was a good chat. It was. Uh, our email is answers at fool.com. Drop us a line. We always have a mailbag episode coming up around the corner to answer your questions. Also, you can still send us a postcard from your travels around the world. Our address is 2000 Duke Street, Alexandria, Virginia, 22314. The show is edited emblazonedly by Rick Engdahl, because it's the fire community. Hey! There we go. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Bye.